So how you doing? Let me uh, just remind you that uh, during the month of October, we decided to throw a, a little bit of a curveball at you in the worship services. We don't want us ever to fall into a pattern where it's just kind of rote and we just kind of go through the motions and don't really think about it much. So uh, we figured as a staff that one of the ways to make sure we didn't do that was to throw a change at you. And I noticed that some of you have changed seats since we started this, which is, that's kind of odd for me. I'm not sure where I'm not supposed to look now, so, or am supposed to look, or however that works out, so. Uh, so you're okay, huh? You have a good week? Don't you hate it when people ask you how you're doing just because they want to tell you how they're doing? So let me tell you how I'm doing. Um, <clears throat> I had, a, uh, had an interesting week actually a couple of weeks, and I'm going to fill you in on this because, first of all, you need to know, and secondly, uh, because it fits what I'm trying to get at today. If you have your Bibles, you should go to James chapter 1. We'll get there sooner or later, hopefully sooner rather than later. But on Thursday this week, I uh, had the great privilege of having an MRI done. Anybody ever had, if you've had an MRI, raise your hand. Let me get an idea of what I'm working with here. Okay, if you have, okay, hands down. If you have not had one of those, let me give you this picture. To, to, now, whether you're aware of it or not, I'm not a small guy. And this MRI is this tube that they put you in, and then they run these magnets and stuff. And all the uh, technical end of it is kind of beyond me. Uh, I got stuck on the practical experience. Um, so... They put you in this tube, if you can envision me laying here, and then draw a tube around me that is just a half inch smaller than my size. <laughs> That's an MRI. And uh, they put you on this table, and the table shoots you in there, and it shoots you so far in there that it, all you see is right above you. And for me, right above me was two inches face clearance, which you can know my stomach was squeaking as it just pulled me in. <laughs> it's so tight in there that my hands couldn't even go to my side. I had to kind of halfway rest them on uh, me and on the side of the deal. And I made the mistake of going into that, asking the girl, how long am I going to be in there? And she told me, 20 minutes. Now, somewhere in that 20-minute stretch... I flashed back to a television program that I saw a year or two ago of an FBI agent that was buried alive. <laughs> and in my head, and I said, I'm really not, they, they asked me four times before I went in there, are you claustrophobic? Okay, now note to self, if they ask you four times something like that, you should probably pay attention. And it's not the first MRI I ever had, but uh, it's... Probably won't be the last one, I'm afraid, but it uh, certainly was one to remember. So while I'm in there in this 20-minute stretch, I start this mental journey. Here's sort of where it started. Man, it's tight in here. I can't move. Well, of course, they tell you not to move, as if that's an option anyway. But somewhere in that process, I move from I can't move. In my thinking, I move from I can't move to if this place catches on fire. 
And then I'm starting to question the character of the people who are working with me there because I'm thinking, if this place catches on fire, they're not going to worry about me. They're leaving. Now, in the middle of all of that, uh, somewhere in there, 20 minutes is like 20 days when you're in a deal like that. Um, I started remembering stuff I've been preaching on. See, it's not just hard for you to have to hear this. It's hard for me too. And uh, So I started kind of processing that and trying to be spiritual about it. I was doing fairly well until the last few minutes, and I was thinking, okay, it's got to be almost over. I was doing all these mind games, you know, because after all, you got to suck it up and deal with it. And so uh, about the time I'm almost there, they say, okay, now we're going to pull you out. You're through with your first 20 minutes. First 20 minutes now is the key. Uh, and we're going to pull you out and we're going to put this, inject this dye into you to contrast. And then we're going to put you back in for another 10 minutes. And I thought, when monkeys fly, you're going to put me back in there. Uh, So I had this mental journey. Do I really want to do this? Am I sure that this is worth it? I'm going to go ahead and tell you the end of that, the follow-up appointments and all that, show that I have multiple issues with my back. And um, I've been referred to a neurosurgeon. And uh, there's um, almost certainly back surgery in my future, probably in my near future. But... Uh, in the meantime, I'll just let you know that uh, we play hurt and we keep going and life goes on, right? So um, you, you can pray for my wife and for me, <laughs> pray for her, bless her heart. Um, but we continue on and we'll, uh, we'll be okay. It's not the first time for me or other people to go through this. We'll go through it and it's fine. But I want you to lock in on the trial and the mental stuff that I just shared with you that I went through in all of that. And I want to drop this truth on you. Actually, it's three truths in one, and so we've got them laid out for you here. Uh, If you're prone to want to remember and write down stuff, I kind of highly recommend these statements to you because uh, James is going to show us another step in this dealing with trials and tests. And before we get to the verses that we're talking about there, let me give you this truth. Hidden inside every trial is a divinely delivered truth that is designed to make you a better person. Now, when I say better person, that means more like Christ. So let me let that sink in before we take another step. This is the first of three truths that work together for us as we come and face those trials and things that we have in life. Here's the fundamental truth. Hidden inside every trial is a divinely delivered truth that is designed to make you more like Christ. Here's the second truth that goes with that one. Your capacity to control the environment during that trial directly impacts your ability to discover God's truth in it. Now I'm going to come back and we're going to take each of these separately and kind of pull them together from what James says here. But I want you to see how they fit together. There is that divinely uh, delivered truth in your trial that if you catch that, it will make you a better person, more like Christ. But your capacity to control the environment of that trial 
directly impacts your ability to discover the truth that we're talking about, which leads us to the third truth here, and that is the level at which you appropriate that truth depends on your attitude and your willingness to receive it. Now, if you had to leave right now and you got those three truths, it would transform the way you look at trials that you face in life. So let's run it past and show you how we get to that point. This first part of it, the one that drives all of it, hid inside every trial, the d- divinely delivered truth that makes you a better person. Here, this, this is from James, the first chapter, the first few verses. I'm not going to read. I didn't even have this on the screen for you. Well, maybe I did put it on the screen. I don't think I did, though, Spencer. Uh, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, when you come to those trials in life, or better said, when they come to you, you have a perspective to reach in that that understands God is in this and God is working that. Uh, It may not be sent from him, but it's at least allowed by him. And it has the ability to draw you closer to Christ and make you more like him. Count it all joy when you encounter these trials because that's part of what's there. Verses 5 through 18 provide commentary on that. I'm not going to go back and rework all of that. I'll just say it this way. This is how we put it together. This is a test. What's the second part of that? Where's God in this test? And the third part? Where's my faith in this? That's all that first big truth. In those trials that you face... Somewhere in there is a truth, at least one truth from God, that if you capture that and appropriate it into your life will make you a better person, more like Christ that is. So let's jump to the second one because we've already dealt with the first 18 verses and that truth. Let's get to this second one because it becomes a little bit of a chore for us. Your capacity to control the environment during your trial directly impacts your ability to discover God's truth in it. Here's the reality, or at least it is true in my life. I suspect that it's true in yours. Here's the statement. Trials have a way of just knocking your legs out from under you, don't they? Maybe it's just me. But I recognize that there are times in my life In the lives of people that I've dealt with, people that I love, good, strong Christian people, that at some point there gets to be a trial that is big enough to just knock you down. I had the privilege, uh, I think it was about a year ago now, uh, I mentioned this in another context from the the pulpit, but uh, I had a chance to go kayaking down Village Creek last year, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, until I fell apart, I thoroughly enjoyed the process. And here's what I mean by I fell apart. I don't know what the water flow rate was that day or how deep it was. I do know that uh, roughly 4,093 times we had to get off of the kayaks and move over obstacles that were in the water. Now, on the early part of the day, that was easy, that was fun, it was all well and good. But the longer the day went and the more we did that, the more my being out of shape came into play. And as we got off of the kayaks and into the water and over trees and stuff like that, uh, my legs just gave, were gone. But I didn't have the privilege of being able to just quit 
because we weren't at the takeout point yet. And so as I stood many times late in the day, stood next to a fallen tree trying to get other people over, help get my own kayak over, uh, the water flow was pushing against my legs and more than once it just knocked me off of my feet. I think that's a great picture of what problems and trials do for us from time to time in our lives. Most of the time, maybe 99% of the time, you're one of those people that you can suck it up and you can get through it and you just kind of bear down and you uh, grit your teeth and you get through the trouble. But you know, if the one trouble itself doesn't knock you down, the string of trials that come do that. This point, this capacity to control the environment during your trial impacts your ability to find God's truth in that trial. That point, I think, helps us to understand the purpose of those. If the trial contains God's truth, and I've already argued that it does. matter of fact, I think that James has shown us that in the first 18 verses. We have to be receptive to the trial to the point that we can find God's truth in it. Let me say that again because that's a, that's a contrary thing for us often. As we face the trials of life, usually what we want more than anything else is to get out of them. I, I use this example a lot, uh, mainly because I think it communicates well. Um, and especially communicates well for me these days with the stuff going on with my back and the bone spurs and all that stuff that are causing issues for me. Um, We don't like pain. Is that true for you? Now, if you like pain, you're sick. (laughs) I know there are sick people, but we we don't typically like pain. And if you want a good... justification for that statement, walk into any grocery store or any corner drugstore around here and look at how much of that inventory of that pharmacy is given over to relief of some kind of discomfort. You have allergies, we have a pill for that. You can't sleep, we have a pill for that. You have pain in your head, we have pills for that. You have a pain in your relation. Well, no, that's a different thing. Um, But the trials that we have that tend to sweep us away are the things that we want out of. But the point here is that for us to get to the point where we find God's truth in that, we have to maintain a level of receptiveness, receptivity to that trial. We don't want that. We pray that God would take it away from us. We get other people to pray that God would take it away from us instead of in the midst of that understanding, okay, God, this is where we are. This is the trial of the day. Where are you in this becomes for us a key question. Am I willing to accept the trial for what it is or do I just try to find a way out of it? That pushes us. I think, to this idea of hearing from God and especially hearing that truth that's at work in it for us. But hearing is sometimes a problem for us. Teresa and I were out uh, uh, several weeks ago and one of those pet peeves for me 
I told you last week that I hate commercials. Let me tell you something else that I hate. Um, I don't think this person that I'm about to talk about is there today. They weren't a member of our church. I, was make, I made sure of that when I was watching them, thinking about how I might uh, show them the truth of God in a public setting. <laughs> we went to Rayo's because I had to get you know bloated up enough for that MRI that was to come. And uh, as we were at Rayo's, there was very few people in there. And uh, you do, do you understand the term personal space? Personal space is that, and some of us need to hear this, okay? So I'm going to do a public service announcement. Personal space is that area around us that we are comfortable with nobody being in. I'll say it another way. If you get in my personal space, I'm not listening to what you're saying anymore. I'm thinking, how can I get away from this person? You're too close, Right? Throat punch, whatever, um, personal space. Now, in a restaurant setting, let me help you out with this, okay? If you're in a restaurant and you walk in and there's one other couple in there and there's 50 other tables, don't go sit right next to them, okay? Find a table on the other side of the room. Bring balance to the feng shui and all of that kind of stuff, you know, (laughs) just, just make space, so Teresa and I are in Rayo's, and this guy comes in, and he sits at the table right next to us. Now, that's bad enough. Okay? I, I felt like a certain Christian duty to talk to him about personal space. I didn't. But then he pulls out his phone, and he starts, I don't know if he was watching YouTube videos, or if he was watching Frozen, or what it was, but this adult male who should have known better takes his phone, starts watching this video with the volume cranked up as loud as it would go and did so for 10 minutes. Now, I would love to tell you what Teresa and I were talking about. I don't remember because all I remember is that guy's phone and the noise that it introduced into that moment. Sometimes in the storms that we face, all we hear is the trial. And when we only hear the trial, then we're not listening for God's truth in the trial. So let me take you right back into that MRI tube that I spent a week in on Thursday morning. I'm locked into this small space. And the environment there is safe. I mean, relatively speaking. But the environment inside my head was anything but safe. I was having these mental discussions with myself on about how bad things could be. And then I would chastise myself because I know this is a mental trip. You're stronger than this. Don't give in to it. And all of those kinds of things. And so in and out and all of the process, somewhere in the middle of that, I remembered Truth of God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Some of those kind of truths, you know. Uh, Some of those kind of things that reminded me that even in the midst of extreme difficulty, he is still God and I'm still his. You know, when I started training my thinking to those truths, uh, it's not like the thing got bigger or anything like that. It's just that I got better in it. Make sense? So James points us to this, this whole idea of 
controlling the environment, that's a stretch for us. But look at verses 19 through 21. Finally, we come to the text for the day. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, they just stop reading there to say this to you. Uh, James builds into his presentation throughout this little letter these uh, turning kind of words. And this is one of those where he, he throws this word out there and it points to us, okay, he's about to make a turn in his whole discussion. It's not that he's abandoning the previous discussion. As we're seeing today, I'm pulling all of that in. But as we move forward from this, we'll take it where James is going to take it. But he has this way of inserting these big words and these powerful words for us. And so he gives this marker to us. Know this. Well, know what? And so he says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Let's break down what he's saying here, because I think he gets to the heart of this idea of controlling the environment for us in the midst of our trials. The thing that ties this all together, we find it in verse 18, we find it in verse 21, is this idea of the word of truth, or in verse 21, the implanted word, he says. Let's remember that James writes this, probably the first New Testament book that's written. So if we're trying to tie this into all of the breadth of what we have in the New Testament, as we call it, the word of God, which it is the word of God, we take the Old Testament and the New Testament together, we hold it up, we say, this is the word of God, and we're right about that. But James doesn't have the entire New Testament to work with. He's working from a point of reference where he's talking about the truth of God and God's specific input to you in the midst of your trial. So when he says this idea in verse 21, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, what he's saying to us is in the midst of that trial, God has a word for you, a truth for you. It's implanted, he says, let's receive it with meekness. That's a powerful statement that he gives there. What he's saying to us is God has specific input to your trial, to your problem. Why don't we get that sometimes? Why is it that sometimes we struggle with this whole idea of finding God in the middle of those trials? The trials just get too big, it seems. James gives us some hints here. Back to verse 19. This series of statements be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We'll get to the last two of those. I want to spend a little time on the quick to hear today. Uh, And so let me ask it to you this way. How pliable are you? In the trials that come your way, how, well, let's just take it off of the trials. Let's just take your life, generally speaking. Are you a flexible kind of person, or are you rigid? I asked this question in the early service today, and I was thoroughly entertained with watching husbands and wives respond to this. Are you a control-oriented person, or do you like kind of fly by the seat of your pants in life? Do you like to be free and easy, or do you like structure? Now, here's what I saw in the early service. I'm seeing a little bit of it here. And that is, I I saw some husbands and wives who throw in elbows, right? And I said, are you like OCD? 
or for those of you who are OCD, it's actually CDO because you got to get the letters in the right place, right? Are you that way? Are you structured? Are you control-oriented? I saw in both services now, I saw elbows going like this. Like, you know, he's talking about you. I also saw the other end of the spectrum, which is some, mostly husbands for some reason, I ain't looking sideways, I'm looking straight ahead. No, no way I'm going to let them know what I'm thinking here. How pliable are you in life? Are you a control freak? So when I went to work right out of high school in the oil fields of West Texas, they stuck me with this guy who was a welder. Now, I love welders. You just need to know that. I know we got a bunch of welders in our church. Uh, love, I love what you guys do. Uh, they tried to teach me how to weld, and I did okay with that. I did okay long enough for them to say, okay, no more fabricating for you. We're going to teach you to work on pumps rather than build them. And that's uh, because I was a terrible welder. But I did learn some things. Uh, I came up, grew up in a family that was not really all that fabrication-oriented, uh, my dad was a pastor, and you know, so we did we didn't do fabricating stuff. So they put me with this welder who was a character in and of himself. But uh, he taught me some things that helped me as a pastor. Uh, like for instance, uh, they they would give me this job to do, and I would have to go pull the parts, and I would have to build a pump unit, the kind that you know, either a centrifugal pump electrical motor on it or a positive displacement pump with diesel engines on them. And I, my job was to take all the raw pieces and metal and cut it and, you know, weld it and all that stuff and build these units that we would send out to the oil field. And, um, and so in that process, this welder, Don was his name, taught me that you can actually bend metal. And uh, I know that for most of us, goes, duh, hello. Uh, but I didn't know that. I didn't know how to do it at least. And so he taught me that you could take a piece of steel bar uh, and if you heat it enough and have a big enough, heavy enough hammer, you can bend that metal uh, and make it go the way you want it to go for the most part. But what it takes is to take uh, a torch and to get that metal so hot that it turns red and then ultimately turns white and then you put it wherever you need to and you start hammering that thing to bend it to what you need it to be. You with me on that? That sound normal? Okay, there is no difference between what I just said and what God does with us with trials and troubles. Those trials and those troubles have the effect of heating us up to the point that God can mold us to be what he wants us to be. Now, sometimes it feels like he's taking a hammer to us on top of the heat. How is it with you and your trials? How do you respond to those trials? You see, if we're not receptive to the trial itself, the heat or the hammer, then we never get to the point about what God is trying to do with us in it. We just want relief from the heat and the hammer. So James says, essentially, position yourself, have the right point of reference to see that there is a truth in that, that God's trying to do this with you in that. But the problem is many of us don't handle growth very well. It's 
the growth itself that we try to run away from. And so we get defensive. And that push for us to grow is met with defensiveness on our part. I I don't really want to do that. And and I don't want to be confronted with these problems or these weak points in my life. So we just defend and we deflect. We get awfully defensive about stuff. By contrast, though, pliable is seen in us as we receive and we are willing to internalize the truth that God is trying to teach us. And so we pull it in and it becomes something that God uses to make us better. The best example from Scripture, I think, that I, that I go to at least, is one that God used with me early on in my life as a minister. One of the first things that I had to learn as a minister is that many people don't like what ministers do. And so ministers are regularly confronted with people who tell them how to do their job and what they're not doing well, okay? That just comes with the territory, and we get that. All of us in ministry get that. Everybody has an opinion about how it ought to go, okay? Uh, and so we recognize that, um, and you just kind of have to make peace with that. And I was having trouble making peace with that because I just was, because I'm that CDO kind of guy. And so God took me to a point... Uh, in Scripture, it's over in Second Samuel. It's a story of David, who King David, who was you know little boy, the shepherd guy, and the Goliath guy. You know David, right? And so he becomes king, and God uses him to build this empire uh, out of his people, and politically strong, militarily strong, and all that kind of stuff. But David has his own problems, and some of his problems are his kids. That ought to make you feel a little better. This guy that God said was a man after my own heart had family trouble. And so much family trouble that his son Absalom kicked him out of the palace and just said he was going to be king. And David, his dad, could take a leap. So David finds himself on the run. He's out on the backside of the wilderness there. His son is trying to kill him. And he gets back there and he's got some of his men with him, his chief of staff and some others and mighty men of valor. And he gets back there and this peasant guy starts throwing insults at him. In other words, it's like the preacher and people tell him what he's doing wrong. And the guy's throwing him insults and getting after him pretty good. And David's chief of staff... Essentially, I'm putting it in road tramalese for you, but he essentially says, who is this punk that he would talk to the king like that? I'm going to run him through with a sword. Now, if I was David and my chief of staff said that, I'd said, get it, man, get after it. Shut that dude up. But David is smarter than me. David used that as an opportunity not only to teach his men, but to teach us too about how to handle those kind of things. When somebody's after you, how do you handle those charges that come at you that are not yours to take? David said, you know what, leave him alone because maybe God told him to say this to me. In other words, maybe there's truth in what he's saying that's mine to wear. You see, in the trial, there's a truth. And so I want to just pull it down for you right now today. Where are you in all of this that we're talking about. The trials that you face, where's God in that? The level at which you appropriate the truth of God depends on your attitude and your willingness 
to accept it. Can you hear the voice of God? James says, be slow to speak, quick to hear. Let me just ask you to bow your heads, if you will. Quick to hear. Have you positioned yourself to listen for the voice of God? As we come to what is going on in your life, have you bothered to ask God for his truth in that? My encouragement to you as a point of invitation today is to position yourself to hear what God has to say. That may mean that you need to spend a lot more time in his word. It may need, mean that you need to spend a lot less time listening to radios and those kind of things. Where's God? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take this time and move in us to change us. Give us hearts that are receptive to what you're doing where we fight ourselves and that thinking that we have that seeks relief rather than growth. Just, we ask you to help us. We pray that you'd move in the, large, in the lives and the hearts of your people even now, that your spirit would be speaking even now. And as we go into these next couple of songs and we worship together, that as you move in the hearts of people, that you would give them the specific things they need to do to move closer to you and be more like you through this. We pray these things in your name. Amen.